Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up on today's program, my studio guests will be giving their reaction to the weekend's biggest stories. Joining me around the desk are Emily Isohauer and Katja Weber. Emily, what's caught your eye this morning? So the Swiss national hero Roger Federer is turning 40 today. So the Swiss papers are paying homage to him and reflecting on sports journalism and the importance of age in sports. Very good. And anything else beyond that? Yes. So they're also the Swiss papers write about the record rainy June and July and the impact Look it has on <laughs> exactly positive but also negative impact on some businesses. Your garden's looking good, I, I would assume. Also ahead. I'm Guy Delorne, and I'll be revealing the hidden hazards of a Croatian coastal getaway, from dodgy landlords through to the beach towel police. More from our man in the Balkans a little bit later. Plus, we head to Dublin to find out what's making headlines on the pages of the Irish Times. It's the 8th of August, 2021. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. Good morning from a, a somewhat or maybe very soggy Zurich. I'm very quite unhappy uh, to report this morning. There has been promise of sun. The newspapers in Switzerland are saying that the summer is returning uh, later this week, maybe as, as early as Tuesday, uh, but uh, we'll see what happens. Nevertheless, I'm very happy to say that we have a very, very busy desk here in uh, Zurich uh, because, well, and I'm very also happy to say that uh, I was in the Baltics this week. I was in Tallinn, uh, then I was in Helsinki, and then I was in Stockholm. And a bit of um, the Baltic world has, uh, has sort of feels like it's rejoined me because I'm very happy to see Marcus Hippie uh, is here. We were good in, ta- good morning, uh, and uh, we were in Tallinn uh, earlier in the week for a very, I mean, one of the sort of the first big parties that we've, we've done in, in a while as a company. Absolutely. It was absolutely one of my highlights of the year because I feel like nothing happened in London in Jan, Feb, March, April, May, and actually this was the first good get-together. We had, I don't know, 50, 60 people getting together in Tallinn. Amazing guests over there, amazing audience members, subscribers, and, and other other people all of worth noticing in Tallinn and it was so much fun absolutely yeah. and and also just a very it's it's one of these places that you go to which is a bit of a yeah i would say a holiday from from where you might be in other other parts of of Europe um as well i'm also happy to say Emily Isahau is here as well uh, regular voice uh, around the table and we were just reflecting good morning by the way good morning about <laughs> woman <laughs> uh, good morning to you also in finnish uh tell me uh, it's you, you said you're up in in that side of the world uh, not too long ago and it is it is strange you really have to almost reset your 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 habits and and i think when you're in i was in i was in helsinki well Tallinn, helsinki and stockholm all within one day and everyone is doing their own little thing uh, when it comes to of course measures how they behave and of course you know much of it a little bit like switzerland though is is really sort of left down to the individual so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of advisories but then that also leaves a lot of room for interpretation (laughs) absolutely and i think what you see among the nordic countries is as you would see in sports as well a little bit of competition between sweden finland norway denmark um estonia um and seeing okay what are the others doing across the baltic sea should we try that in our country as well and you're never too happy with your own government and you always look to another country for better ideas. Yeah, Marcus, it was interesting. We were talking to uh, the Prime Minister of Estonia, uh, Kaya Kalas, uh, it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday afternoon. It was Tuesday. It's been a long week <laughs> already. Um, and it was interesting how she said that they were, they, 
Estonia decided they didn't want to be too heavy on rules uh, at any measure because they said, you know, here is a country that lived with half a century of just communism and oppression. So they said, you have to tread very, very lightly, uh, of course, with the citizenship, with your electorate when it comes to rules, which I thought was really interesting. And that's why when you look at the stringency indexes uh, that are out there, uh, Estonia is quite low. I mean, Switzerland, I think, is something around 40 percent. Finland is not, I think, is not far off. Uh, Certainly, Sweden's a little bit lower. And then, but yes, you know, uh, I think Australia's like 23% when it comes to sort of measures and stringency. Absolutely. It was really interesting to notice the difference when you travel like this. Obviously, you went to Sweden as well. That's a country I haven't been to for some time. But when I was comparing Finland and Estonia alone, in Estonia, life felt normal. I didn't feel any restrictions. There was, people weren't wearing masks. And then I took the ferry across the Finnish Gulf to get to Helsinki and I wasn't wearing my mask in the boat, in the ferry. And then I got to Helsinki Harbour and all of a sudden the rules are clearer over there and the rules are stricter. So you saw more people wearing masks over there, absolutely. Indeed. I'm very happy to say also Katja Weber uh, is here. It's been on this program uh, a few times. Very nice to see you. You've been very busy this summer and just uh, maybe we should bring everyone up to speed because if I look at what it says on um, on, on the script, it, it really just it talks about you being obviously a, a an events uh, developer and, and and an events coordinator. You're much more than that. I mean, you are a fixture when it comes to, I would say, the social life uh, of the city, the urban fabric of the city. And I think man, many uh, will who've certainly visited Zurich uh, will will know you for Frau Gerolzgarten, which has been an incredible intervention uh, in, in one part of uh, the city. But there's been an extension, I'm told. Yeah. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for this introduction. Um, yes, we did. Um, well, after 18 months almost where, where we could not work, um, we are now back in the game in the, yeah, I, at, at least I would say so. We opened up a second Gerald's Garden. Uh, we got... Um, Maybe let everyone know, what is the first Gerald's Garden? What the, was what was the idea? Of, so people who have not been to Zurich to experience it, who have not seen Gerald's Garden, what was the idea of the original one? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I have to think back for almost seven years already. 2012 is when we started. It's an urban garden. And these days, urban gardening was really like a, the en vogue topic. Um, it is still a topic because I say sustainability um, is something that you can um, experience in an urban garden. So the idea was to kind of make people aware of that you can within a city grow your own um, yeah, uh, vegetables and that there is um, yeah, a, a way to experience in a designy way uh, a, a green oasis in the middle of, um, in, in these days, Gerald's Garden was uh, or still is in an area where people thought it's far away outside of the city. Now everybody obviously understands that it's in the middle of the city. And now our second Gerald's Garden, it's called Mika's Garden. It's again on the outline of the city. So what we try to do actually is to bring the city closer into a center or try to decentralize Zurich in a way and um, a lot of people moved out there and if I say out there people would say oh yeah it's, it's really far away right now you have the feeling that you have to take your car to go there but there are no parking lots so you shouldn't go by car so you also take your bicycle which is a typical way to move your to move around in Zurich or take the tram take the bus which is um, yeah now the the line is a rather new line going from where we are right now Duforstrasse you can take the Trump to drive through the whole city and then after half an hour you end up in a, at the outline of Zurich it's called Altstädten and there yeah we opened up um, our 
second urban garden. And uh, yeah, maybe I, I, I can talk about uh, how the structure developed. Uh, yeah. And, and it's just because I mean, it, and it, it's beyond obviously just a garden. It is not uh, flowers uh, and, and maybe various greenery that you might want to eat. Of course, it is restaurants and it's bars and it is and is retail and it's events and, and many, many other other things as well. It's sort of, yeah, it's it's an urban garden, also in the hands of a businesswoman and, and all of your partners uh, as well. So you go to the garden, there's plenty to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are always many people. Um, I, I never do those just businesses by myself. So I, I think that it's it's a it's a big project. And that's it's, it's also it's hard to explain sometimes what what you feel. It's a, t- a 3,000 square lot. So um, we, we start with, uh, it, it, it was with for Gerald's garden and now with Mika's garden, a parking lot. So you can imagine it's really like a, a gray area where we go and we bring the plants. We bring a lot of material. Right now it's wood. Uh, in Gerald's garden, we, we, we brought shipping containers. We bring a lot of paint and we bring a lot of people, uh, which is uh, in the first place, it's people that build up. And in the second um, step, it's people that really enjoy being there and this makes the space so different from when we stayed start with a gray parking lot and afterwards it's this colorful place where people meet and I don't know exactly how we do it to be honest but we kind of do it and bringing together all those people that really develop something out of it and make it to a very yes special thing which is hard to explain also when I explain it it's uh, it, it, I, I don't want to say that it's working so well because you know that the, uh, the Swiss are always understatement so I don't want to say that we are really successful in doing <laughs> so do but that. in the end of the day we are kind of su- successful in a way that yeah and and, and we are always um, alongside the, the railway so um, what I think makes people uh, or makes Zurich normally so special is being close to the water to the river or to the lake we are always close to the to the railway, which gives it's also us quite Swiss, though, as well. If there aren't sort of train tracks, then yeah, there's going to be a river, a river or or, or a lake um, as well. I want to just jump uh, across uh, the water as well uh, to Andrew Tuck, uh, our editor, who's standing by. I have no idea where he is. I believe I say water. He could be on the other side of the Med. Uh, he could be in London, but I, bl- I believe he's in London. I'm back in the UK, unfortunately. We're, we're like you, I think. We're unfortunately, why? Thing. I mean, also, also, you're you're in your rubber dinghy too. <laughs> Well, we, we're, we're getting exactly the same weather as you. And I think we've been given the same promise that actually this, this, this week it will finally abate. But uh, certainly many London tube stations flooded last night yet again in these uh, flash floods that we've been having with these torrential <laughs> downpours. So, uh, yes, welcome back to London. Yeah, so the headline is, Andrew, that you're, you're thrilled to be back from Mallorca, correct? Look, I, I'm, I'm pushing hard for us to open a bureau in Parma de Mallorca. Apart from paying the rent, I'm not sure what more I can do to entice you to make it permanent. Andrew, I saw, I saw, I saw that uh, email a little, a little bit earlier. Um, I wanted to, um, in, in a moment, uh, just maybe reflect on some of the comments that we were talking about changing rules. You know, of course, you've been, you've been in Spain. You're back in London. We we're always talking about the Baltic because I think that Katy has a lot of uh, thoughts as well on also doing business. And as we shift into a new gear, Andrew, um, as we're in this whatever whatever phase of, of the pandemic we're in at the moment. But maybe just first quickly, uh, what's uh, what's making news? Uh, if I was to flip open uh, or see the front page of the, the Telegraph um, or the Observer or the Sunday Times this morning, what's making news in the UK? Well, it's certainly not silly season, but it, there is this feeling that, you know, the, the, the parliament is, 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 is packing up, that the, the ministers are kind of disappearing on their holidays. 
And so the newspapers are very split today in what they're covering. There is hints of a, uh, some kerfuffle at number 10 with Boris Johnson uh, reported in the Times to have been swearing and going crazy because uh, he felt that his, uh, his, his minister, Rishi Sunak, in, in the Chancellery had been kind of stealing a march by putting out press releases about running them past him about the need to get travel going and to ensure that business was, was in a strong position. Uh, elsewhere, um, Alok Sharma, who's going to be running the climate change uh, conversation here, he's been taking it from every side because he's just come back from Brazil. He's certainly not going to be spending two weeks uh, in a hotel and he's clocked up some 300,000 air miles uh, over recent weeks in the run-up to a climate change debate about trying to get us to fly less, uh, among many other things, which is a bit of a cheap shot because... Well, you know, we know this complication thing. Complicated thing is that, in fact, to persuade people to do things, you you do need to see them face to face. And he's certainly, I don't think he's going on holiday while he's there. But so it's he's he's in a, a very difficult position, and it comes back off off the back of the the government spokesman uh, Angela Stratton saying the other day that she was certainly wasn't going to give up her diesel car. So she, you know, here we have two people trying to run the climate debate and and getting get, getting it from personal sides as well. So it's it's come down to some some rather odd things. But interestingly, Rishi Sunak has also hinted, apparently, that he's concerned that the climate change is going to impact mostly working class people with higher bills that they will be penalised by, whereas middle class people will, will, will take the knock and move on quite easily. Um, speaking of diesel vehicles, uh, Andrew, have you ever um, rented uh, or have you, have you purchased um, a, a battery powered vehicle? I, I've, I've not seen your, what your fleet looks like recently. I've had a hybrid, but I've never had a, a pure battery-powered one. And uh, I think if you're, <laughs> maybe you're going to talk about Andrew, because Andrew Stratton's just like, well, I've got to visit my parents, and I, you can't go more than 250 miles still in the UK with, and reliably recharge. So, um, I, no, I'm, I've never been a full owner. No, I, I was going to say, if you, caught, if you caught my column this morning, you, you will have seen it. I said, you know, going to Estonia, you know, very digitized country, as, as we know. Uh, they'd like to talk about the digital economy. Uh, obviously, nevertheless, though, still an emerging economy. But uh, I said there's an equation. I said we're e-vehicle emerging, even though digitized economy doesn't quite add up. And it's it's the problem of, uh, yeah, maybe a range of about you know 300 kilometers. Uh, but it's, I mean, you really do have to plan for it. And I think it's interesting, this this narrative of this this push, you know, to, to e and electricity, et cetera. Yeah, I think a lot of people might adopt it. But, you know, having tried this once now, I would say, yeah, fine for, for city driving. But if you do have to venture out, go to the mountains, go to other places, it's it ain't easy. No, and I, I and I think that this is this is a, a thing that we've talked about before, as you know, that the pressure also on on many kind of families who can't easily anyway jump out and purchase an electric vehicle, they're being made to feel guilty about doing that. Where, as we know that you know, for many poorer families, they buy secondhand cars, so they're going to be at the tail end of this revolution all the way through. So it, 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 it's a it's a it's a strange it's a strange thing, and I think also. This idea that you know, if you buy a v- really expensive Tesla, suddenly you've done your bit for climate change. It's 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 a it's a more complicated debate than people would have you think. And and here in the UK, certainly, if you, you know, if you live in a, a place where you want to recharge your car at night and you live in a in a tower block, then it is that that infrastructure is just not in place yet. And certainly, you can't run cables across pavements here and things to to recharge your cars if you live in dense areas either. So, in, in oddly. Although they're best suited to cities, in many of our cities, there just is not the infrastructure for you to be able to charge your car. 
Mm. And you, you commented uh, that uh, Parliament is winding down. Uh, of course, yeah, we've, we've seen some of our colleagues just heading off on school holidays now. Uh, you know, here um, on, on this side of the channel uh, in Switzerland, you know, a lot of schools start to go back uh, from, from next week. So you, you already have the, the restart uh, of yeah, what you would say is this, this, this rush to, of course, year end, uh, the move into to Q4 practically um, at, at this point. And maybe, and I want to open up with you, as I was saying, you know, you've been in Spain recently, you're back in the UK, UK is, is, it is very open in, in many ways. Um, and I, of course, want to open it up to the panel as well. Where do things need to go? Because this this is a bit of, you know, as much as you've got, of course, you know, January 1st is a reset, sort of September 1st is a bit of a reset. Um as well, and I think when you look around, uh, when you look around London, when you look at the metabolism of the place, okay, f- of course, much of the UK is on holiday. Crystal ball time, Andrew. How, how do you think things are are going to look, feel uh, when it really comes time to get back to school and get back to work, and and maybe also what does need to happen if you think there's an absence of of guidance at the moment? Well, I'm I'm always reasonably confident, and I and I'm always hopeful about how our cities are going to function and how we'll get going again. But you have to remember that by now, lots of people have actually permanently changed the way that they are working, and many big corporations are certainly not going to try and unravel that for months yet. Many have now pushed off the deadline because of the Delta variant until January the first to ask staff to return to their offices. So I think for big companies, I, I'm concerned what the, what that means. And I think especially when you go into the, you know, the financial heart of London, when you go into the city of London, you would be concerned about how many people will really be back at their desks even in September. But there is a return and there is a gradual return. The other thing is, you know, that I keep thinking, oh, it's, it feels quite normal. But, you know, where we are, Tyler, in our office in Midori House, you, 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 you hang, a, hang a right and you head down to Baker Street. And I was saying to my colleague Tom the other day, I said, we should stop and look at this because this is not normal. Because we looked around and there were maybe on, on just one block, there were, there were seven really huge empty units. Now, for all those things to click back into gear, it's not going to be a, a thing that happens uh, just because the school term has changed. That is going to take months and months of rethinking how those spaces work and how we entice people back into the city. But I think it will happen. There's a report this morning saying that many law companies are speaking to um, big organisations again, saying, look, you're, you're, you've got to be careful here because um, while you're quickly... Re- so apparently you're 38% more likely to be given a bonus in the last year if you're one of the people who's gone to the office. But they're saying that it, you're likely to start seeing lawsuits from staff who said, well, I... I, I I worked from home because you said it was an, an option. Now, why should I be hit by that? I think, oddly, those kinds of things it, it will entice people back to the office more quickly than you know, a few new restaurants and things. When people see their opportunities in life disappearing, when they see that they're no longer n- noticed, when they see that the, the number of Zoom calls has diminished and, and they, they're, they're not part of the conversation. Unfortunately, a, a fear of missing out will be uh, in the office space, I think, would be more important for bringing people back. Mm. And just uh, before we went on air, Kachi, we were talking, I mean, Andrew's talking about empty stores uh, in London. And and of course, uh, empty stores, of course, 
certainly has a massive impact on, on one side of the labor market. I mean, you think about people out of jobs, but at the same time, there also seems to be a bit of a talent deficit. It's also very hard to find people uh, as well. We, certainly, it's, it's, you know, we struggle with it um, in, in the UK. And of course, you hear the same stories uh, here in Switzerland and, and Germany as well. Where is everybody, especially also in the service sector as well? Yeah, it's devastating. When we started our business now, we were yeah looking for our people and they are everywhere but nowhere. I have no idea, to be honest. I mean, of course, we saw we had about a thousand freelancers working in our network the last years. And of those 1000, it's about four people left. And this is not exaggerating. It is just a fact. And when we try to to um, yeah work, well, where are they? Are our... they are they on Mykonos? Are they on Ibiza? I, I mean... <laughs> no, no, they are not doing holidays. They they went into other jobs. I mean, we were not allowed to do business for such a long time, so people had to look for for other jobs. So uh, two of our key people are now in Davos working in uh, yeah like social jobs. Um, I mean, they all have opportunities, which is a good thing. I mean, they they couldn't wait for us to to make business again. They, they were somewhere on short, short work, so they, they were not um, out of the social system, but they had, um, they, they were starting yeah, to, they really wanted to, to develop themselves, to work on things. So they kind of, um, some of our people went back to school, so they are now um, doing, you know, get new, um, certificates, uh, which, which is, I mean, I, I really like that they are so active, but in the end of the day, we are missing people. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me, do you have um, everything aside from the staff at the moment? Can you get on and do your job? Do you have enough on one side support? And also, yeah, are, are there, you know, are we in a situation where enough regulations have, have come, have fallen away now that it's 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 easy enough to, to do your job? Or, or do you think, look, at, we need to get to a real reset and just no, they, it is, to, to be honest, I don't think that there's anything close to normal right now or that I, I need, I think we need to think of a new normal because no, nothing will go back completely to where we, we have been some some years ago, we, we now have to say. I think, I mean, we all, it's 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 like a river. You you float in one direction, there's no way back. So we have to think of, of, of the new um, circumstance that we have to work for and, and this is what we, after we, we started now our business again, we saw what is left of our industry and it's really devastating what is left. So it's it's people is on the one hand side and people in the business or in, in the service industries, but also in the construction. So when we set up something, we, we, are, we are missing good people on every end. And then our suppliers, the suppliers which are not bankrupt, they had to sell stuff so they have, don't have material anymore. So uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm facing right now that for our Christmas market, which I'm not sure whether I can plan it right now, but I have to plan it obviously. And so much business is, is related to it. Um, we don't have a chalet. So our, our, our supplier had to sell the chalet. You've got two fins across from you, I'm sure, <laughs> who, have, who, have, who have relatives in the world of wood yeah. and, and, and I'm sure yeah, but are, are hand, is, handy yeah. with a hammer as yeah, well. But, but, but imagine there is no wood right now uh, available. So mm. for our new project, we were planning in January, February, when we were start planning the project, we thought, okay, we do a wooden house because we, I mean, we, we did a, our material we wanted to work with was wood. There is no wood available right now. So what we had to do is upcycling. We kind of got a house, made out of steel, uh, which is okay right now. But but everything that follows 
after not working with wood anymore. So all, I mean, there are limitations in a, in a certain way. We have to find no, new ways, but it's really hard. If you ask me how it's doing business right now, it's really challenging. Mm. Andrew, just in London, when you spoke to speak to um, our friends in the hospitality industry, and we know also about this, you know, as you said, a one side empty units, a lack of staff. Uh, what's what is sort of the the word and feeling on the street uh, there? Because you know we, uh, you know, if, if you're sort of watching, you know, you, you heard about in Wales, of course, they've lifted you know regulations and restrictions, etc. And so you just see this rush to pubs and restaurants that's all full again. And this is always sort of you know in a way it's a bit unfortunate, but th- these are the images you do see on Al Jazeera, CNN. It's it's the rush to the pub uh, in in the UK. But what is you know I think we have to look back at how many places have been shuttered and and maybe what is what is the feeling right now well, i think tyler you, you've kind of hit it on on the head and i think the, the swiss experience is oddly in this instance very similar to the uk experience i i met somebody the other day who runs a very successful uh, restaurant that's been going for 20 years and he said that um, he was off to uh, do the evening service so he's back on on, on the floor uh, managing because he said you know, he he'd lost his manager and then he said, interestingly, he said, um, we only do dinners now anyway. And I said, oh, they're just not the, the kind of that lunchtime business trade. He said, oh, no, I could be full every single lunchtime, but I just cannot find the staff to run the restaurant. So he said you know, that the, the loss in London, nearly all of his team would have been European workers. They've gone. They, they, they went back to, you know, to Poland and to France and Italy, and they didn't come back again because they found jobs there and they found opportunities there. So the, the deficit of staff in London is, 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 is damaging business w- without a doubt. And then many kind of okay places, they definitely kind of didn't manage to come back. Rents were often you know, only temporarily changed. Again, people couldn't afford them. But, you know, we, we had our CFO over this week, Anna. I, I took her for a nice drink at the Chilton Street Firehouse and it was packed. Uh, you know, there you see where somebody's at the top of their game, has a reputation, uh, probably is paying people a little bit more. They, they've got staff, but even there, I understand that they have been struggling to kind of uh, f- find full teams from speaking to a couple of people who work there. So it's the same thing. It's a bit stop-start. You think, oh, it's getting going, and then you you, c- you come across another hurdle. You know, odd things like hearing that there's not enough timber. It's the same thing in London. People come up with these these. The, uh, up against these, these odd barricades that prevent them from, from really steaming ahead. Um, Andrew, stay, stay there because I, I want to come back to that because this has been a bit of a, um, yeah, a bit of a depressing discussion for a, a grey Sunday morning, certainly here in uh, in, in Zurich uh, and, and over in London as well. Here's uh, Emma Nelson with the news. The Taliban has claimed to have seized control of a second regional capital city in Afghanistan. Militant fighters appear to have taken Shabagan in the north of the country. Small and medium-sized private businesses are to be legalised in Cuba. It follows a series of anti-government protests. Almost a quarter of a million people have taken part in protests in France against new rules that require a coronavirus health pass to enter a cafe or travel on an intercity train. And the NZZ Amzontag is reporting the, on the winners and losers from a very rainy summer in Zurich. The boat rental company, the lifeguard and the local buffet have had a disastrous few months. The museum operator, however, says July has been the second best month in their history. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. Thanks very much, uh, Emma. It's just uh, gone uh, 17.31 uh, if you're listening in uh, Tokyo. It's uh, just 10.31 here in Zurich. It's uh, 9.31 back in London. Andrew, solution time. Uh, What needs to happen? I mean, at the start of the programme, we've been comparing, contrasting the Baltic world, talking a little bit uh, about Mallorca uh, as well. 
It, we're, we're at this point, and there was, you know, um, Emma just mentioned in her bulletin as well about uh, just a story out of the NZZ. There was a big uh, comment piece on Friday, which was a little bit about, of course, you know, governments now just need to, of course, they're sort of clinging on to many, you know, many things, but they were, they were pointing to the UK, Andrew, in the piece saying, look at what's ha- happened with the numbers in the UK. They went up. You know, they went down, they went up again, but you know, large, largely going in the right direction. And we see this in many places. You know, I think about being in, in Stockholm this week where it, it's completely open. And, you know, we were saying earlier and, you know, Katya, this will make your head spin. But you're listening to, to people in Sweden, they're saying, oh, it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's been so awful because, you know, well, finally, you know, restaurants are now open again past eight o'clock. But, you know, restaurants were always open there. Um, and you see that actually... Life moves on. They've had, you know, yes, they had some difficult numbers as well, but also society is open. Business is open. Uh, some restaurants, you know, have chosen to be closed for a while. Um, so, so, so they move on. So, Andrew, we need of, a, of an end of summer summit where all of, of Europe and, and other, other nations get together uh, to somehow sort of at least create some level of not just normal, but also a playing field where when you cross borders, a society reopens. Uh, that we're we're all in a way sort of functioning. Um, I mean, with with the same with the same tools, and certainly maybe with also the same mindset as well. Yeah, and it was just a, a, the first thing is yeah, it's interesting. I don't think that people are as obsessed by COVID as you would imagine from the the headlines here. I I, I I've been going around the last few days. People, yeah, they're not in a kind of a brazen breaking rules way, but you don't have to wear a mask now when you go in a store. And it's interesting how many people are already deciding not to. And of all generations, it's not a statement. Just just people have decided they've had enough of it. So the mask is definitely on its way out here. And I think it would be very hard to introduce if they try and do it again in the winter. That has eased out. So people are in a pretty good space. If the sun was out, the streets would be full. People would be packing the bars and restaurants. So that's not the complicated bit. There's these odd bits that are at government level that needs to be fixed. So positive things to be done you know government should lead by example you know it should be telling civil servants we're back let's let's lead by example let's be proud of of what we've done i think you that when you think about uh the the cityscape a reality check for 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 people who are landlords it's like come on it's it's empty let's let's have a moment of give people a chance so this should be an opportunity for even if you give short leases let's not lock people into 10 years Give people one-year leases to try and do new startups, business, entrepreneurship in a nice way, fitting with the environment. But let's have a go at kind of easing up some of these things. Travel, you know, I think we we should ask Mr. Biden why he can't just allow us to start traveling because they have the Delta Delta variant as much as we do. We have the Americans coming this way. They're certainly taking it back home with them in their luggage. So we need these these pressures at points to kind of be eased. You know, entirely, you know, just think how many times we would be going to Asia, to the States. And again, that's how we got business going. So there's, I think there's a, there's a travel check and saying, look, we are where we are in, in the developed world where we don't have crazy variants, where we, cannot, we trust each other's systems. Let that just go. And government start leading by example. Quickly, Marcus, solution from you. 
solution for, for the issue when it comes to the lack of hospitality staff. That's what I've been thinking. I was just reading Helsingin Sanomat newspaper, for example, and the restaurant critics have been to a few places, and they're saying the same thing. It takes 50 minutes to for someone to come and ask for your order. It takes another 20 minutes to get the bill in the end when you've had your dinner. It can't work like that. And it looks like what's happened is that during the lockdowns, when, when these people working in hospitality didn't have work, they found other careers. And I think it's very important for employers to motivate their staff, get their staff commit, offer them opportunities, maybe offer them opportunities to move forward in their careers, to actually make them dedicated, make them enjoy their work more. And actually also, on a, on a wider level, I think we should pay more respect to people working in bars, restaurants, cafes, hotels, to give them, you know, the respect they deserve, for them to understand and everyone to understand that if you work in hospitality, that is a worthwhile career. Absolutely. Um, Emily? Um, so a quick soundbite solution at the macro level. Um, so I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we all talked about a turn back towards protectionism. So national governments took the lead, perhaps understandably. But I think now it's time for not just regional, but international collaboration, be it on vaccine certifications, on vaccination distribution and so on and so forth. So international collaboration. I like that. Uh, Katya, from you, what would... what? When you, when you look at policy and and of course the yeah in a way the the impediments that you have around your business you know something that you think needs to happen a summit to be convened a discussion to be had well what for us would be really 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 important is that we have some security in planning because we need to plan ahead a little bit and this is what people are looking for we know that christmas is coming so. yeah, yeah christmas is coming and next summer is also coming i mean we have to plan ahead and if people if we want to employ people we have to give them the security that even though we may have a job now we will also have a job in half a year and a, a year from now because i think this is what we were Or what we are lacking and what we were losing, like the confidence that we can give them jobs. So if we cannot plan ahead, how would we expect them to stay with us and or come back now from the jobs that they took on or from young people that, that want to invest into a career, into our business? And if we say, well, in half a year, our business is closed down again, how should we support them in, in that? Um, yeah. In, in, And, and their objective to to come to us and and to, yeah, do a career in our business, which is, I mean, I, th I think we have good chances for them. But if they don't have any um, yeah. opportunities, yeah, where <laughs> where are they going to be? Uh, we're going to go away for a short break. We're going to be heading to Dublin, also over to the Balkans right after this. Marriott Bonvoy is proud to partner Monocle on Sunday on Monocle Twenty Four. As a global leader in hotels covering the globe from cool urban vibes to the most luxurious retreats, whatever your travel style, Marriott has the perfect place for you. One such location is the Ritz-Carlton Kyoto, which sits serenely on the banks of the Kamagawa River with sweeping views of the mountains. Located in the heart of a city famed for its beautiful temples, palaces and gardens, the Riverside Resort brings the unsurpassed elegance and renowned service of the Ritz-Carlton to Kyoto while honouring the extraordinary cultural heritage of the city through design. Simon Finch is the Ritz-Carlton Kyoto's loyalty manager and he's here to share some of his favourite spots to visit in Kyoto. Here's Simon, and first up is the Diamonji. Diamonji is a mountain very close to the Ritz-Carlton. You can see it from the actual windows. They also have a festival every year on the 16th of August, where the whole mountains are lit up with bonfires. To get to Diamonji, it's only a 15-minute cycle, and then 
one hour hike up the actual mountain. And when you do get to where they have the bonfires for this festival, you will see picturesque views of Kyoto. An absolutely brilliant, wonderful place. Simon Finch, the Ritz-Carlton Kyoto's loyalty manager, sharing his favorite places to visit in Kyoto. Discover more compelling and enriching experiences across 30 distinct brands with Marriott Bonvoy at Marriott.com. Marriott Bonvoy, proud partner of Monocle on Sunday on Monocle 24. back with Monocle on Sunday with me at Tyler Brule. We're live here in Zurich. We're going to be heading uh, to the Balkans, to Ljubljana in a moment. We're also going to be heading to Tokyo as well, uh, of course, as uh, the... Uh well, the, the closing ceremonies of the Olympic Games are, are of course, uh, upon us as well. But before that, over to Dublin, I'm very happy to say that Mark Hennessy is standing by for us, news editor at the Irish Times. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, let's uh, let's start off. Uh, if, uh, of course, our listeners uh, who who might be in various corners of the world uh, don't have the Irish Times up on their screen, they certainly don't have uh, maybe Sunday morning delivery. Uh, what's uh, what's making headlines? Well, in the last uh, couple of hours, um, our website has been covering the Kelly Harrington uh, victory in Tokyo, the lightweight boxer, and she has very much become the darling uh, of Ireland in the last couple of weeks because of the scale of her achievements in Tokyo, uh, as well as some uh, very substantial victories in the rowing competition. So for a small country, it's had a good Olympics and it has given a bit, uh, people a bit of uh, July and August cheer. So uh, very welcome for that. Mark, I don't have the medal standings right in front of me, but uh, how's, how's Ireland fared uh, over these uh, last two weeks of the Games? Um, well, we've uh, three gold medals and uh, a number of, uh, of bronzes. So it's a, it's a significant um, uh, result for the country and one that has brought uh, a considerable amount of, of joy, as I said. Clearly, these sports that we've been uh, rather good at over the years have, have been rowing. Where they've been, there's been a lot of effort made over the last 20 years to develop a speciality in that. And we've had a long-standing uh, history in Olympic boxing, and that again has come through on this particular occasion. Mm. One one of the stories, uh, which of course you've been focusing on as well, is of course uh, that you have uh, obviously experts uh, and uh, a name that of course is or, or a concept that's bandied around a lot, uh, with uh, experts warning that uh, that you you could see hospitalizations double by the end of the month because of uh, of COVID. This is what ministers are, are being yes, warned of. Uh, we, we, of course, we see this uh, all over the world. Uh, this this type of story played out, and and we're we're maybe exploring this a little bit earlier in the program. Um, as well, that you were in this moment now, where you know, we, we see that warnings, of course, uh, come out, uh, and uh, and then off, oftentimes uh, they don't uh, they don't come good either. And I'm wondering, um, is there a bit of a level of, of fatigue, and also how maybe the Irish Times you know approaches a story like this now? There is a level of fatigue. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Now, on the positive side, we've had a, a, a remarkable degree of success with our COVID vaccination program. About 75% of all those currently eligible have taken it up. We have very little uh, vaccine hesitancy. We have some. Uh, whilst we have allowed vaccine denier element online, they're not representative 
of the population at large who, frankly, are just uh, lining up in a queue to get vaccinated and want to get back to work and something like normal life. So at least we don't have those kind of problems that some other countries are having. On the other side, uh, Delta, like everywhere else, uh, is uh, uh, refreshing itself on a daily basis. Those numbers are coming through into the hospital system. Um, Our numbers in intensive care are about 30 at the moment, which is relatively small compared to where we were previously. But the Irish Health Service is one that has very little margin for error. So if we Mm. ended up with a significant number of hospitalizations measured in their hundreds by the end of the month, which is possible, then that is something that would lead to uh, normal uh, day-to-day operations being cancelled and whatnot. So there's very little room for manoeuvre. And we've had some political controversy about ministers in the last week or fortnight uh, turning up at a a reception for a former minister, which has become a a very big story, which take far too long to explain to an international audience and the details really aren't relevant. But what it has done is it has damaged the uh, sense of unity in the country and people's belief that we're all in it together. So I think there's no doubt that people, if they want to have excuses now for their poor behaviour over the last couple of weeks, will be pointing to this controversy where ministers attended something that they shouldn't have attended. Uh, just to tell me uh, uh, quickly, um, there's a, a lovely piece uh, in, in the paper uh, today by uh, actually a regular voice here on Monocle 24, Suzanne Lynch. Um, she's your, your Washington and, and, and US uh, correspondent, uh, and uh, she's stepping down uh, from, from this post. But she, she, you know, she really sort of paints a picture you know, that despite uh, the, the Trump years, uh, we have a new administration in, and, and maybe when a lot of the world has been rather down on, on the United States, you know, particularly for the last administration, Many question marks also around this upcoming or the current administration uh, as well. She still uh, talks of a land of opportunity. Yes, uh, and Suzanne, as you say, is finishing her term, a, a very successful term in Washington, where she was pretty much everywhere. Um, she she does point to kind of the Irish love affair uh, to an extent with the United States for all of. Uh, the gripes and grumbles that we have. You know, the two countries have remarkable ties. There is an instinctive level of affection uh, between the two nations, uh, even when we raise our eyebrows at much of what's gone on there over the last couple of years. And she captures that in her piece where she talks about, you know, the, the extraordinary beauty of the country, the extraordinary generosity of so many of the peoples. And at certain levels, the rather mad uh, political culture uh, that is currently abroad in the country as a whole. And, and at the same time, you know, pointing to the things that perhaps might have a longer half-life than any of the current political uh, difficulties, which is that sense of, of opportunity, that sense of hope and enthusiasm, and that sense that tomorrow can be uh, better than yesterday, which the United States has had for uh, so many decades and perhaps uh, has to a, a lesser extent uh, in more recent years because of wider structural changes. But just because it's in the background doesn't mean that it can't come to the fore again. A very positive uh, place for us uh, to to end there. Mark Hennessy, uh, news editor uh, at the Irish Times, joining us there uh, from Dublin. Uh, Emily, I have to turn over to you because you have so many handwritten notes, <laughs> and I don't know if those are those are recipes that you have uh, for for dinner tonight, or these are these are other news stories that you want to talk about. But you've been sort of shuffling them around. So yeah, I should show maybe, the menu. For, I know, to maybe, show my recipes. Yeah. No, it's I, in full transparency. I was reading the news on my phone on the train ride um, over to the Fortstrasse, so I had to take notes. 
episodes. Uh, but no, perhaps a, uh, one uh, slightly more uplifting story to share today. So it is the 40th birthday of Roger Federer, the great Swiss hero in tennis. Um, and both Tagus and Tiger, they have a beautiful photo collage of his career. But in NZZ, Daniel German has an interesting piece where he focuses on age. Um, and I think it's an uplifting story for anyone who's a slightly concerned about getting older. Um, so according to um, the articles of the Federal Statistics Office uh, of Switzerland points that the average life expect- expectancy of Swiss men is currently at 81.9 years. So we could, in theory, still have several decades of, of Roger um, Federer on the court. Um, but very importantly, they look back at their article honoring his birthday 10 years ago in 2011. And back then they wrote as follows. Um, there's a, a crude translation. So in today's tennis, there are hardly any more physical improvements possible at the age of 30. Rather, it is already a success to preserve health and fitness for as long as you can. And this made sense at the time, um, because in the previous nine years at the time, only one tennis player above the age of 30 had won a Grand Slam. And this was um, Peter Pete Sampras in, in, in 2002. But then 10 years on, um, of the last 19 Grand Slams, now one, only one has been won someone who was under 30 years of age. So Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal um, and Novak Djokovic has, have really dominated. So uh, given this background, um, NZZ is taking a slightly apolo- apologetical tone in, in, in their um, honouring of, of Roger Federer. And they're saying that they've counted him off several times in the past. And they've done this only not out of spite or cynicism, but out of self-protection because they they're dreading the day when Roger Federer will no longer be on, on the tennis court. So good news uh, for anyone who still wants to make it. They list a host of other um, over 30 Euro athletes um, in various sports around the world. They point to Slatan Ibrahimovic being 40 or almost 40 and still being one of the most dangerous strikers in, in Serie A in, in um, Italy or the Norwegian biathlete um, uh, Bjørndal uh, winning two gold medals at the age of 40 or Tom Brady uh, leading Tampa Bay to Super Bowl victory at the age of 43. Um, so I think there's a lot uh, in for us who still want to make it in sports, <laughs> even in, in, in late 30s. We're going to head over uh, to uh, to uh, the Balkans uh, right now, our Guy Delaney's there. But just before that, I'm just going to set you both a challenge because we can't have two Finns around the table without having something from the Finnish press. We're not going to do it right now, but sometime before the end of the show, uh, bef- maybe after we've uh, we've been in Tokyo, I'm expecting something from the Helsingin Sonomat or maybe one of the, the more tabloid uh, popular uh, papers. <laughs> uh, but before that, uh, let's head to Ljubljana right now. Guy Delaney is there. He is our correspondent in the Balkans. Good morning, Guy. Morning, Tyler. Morning, everyone. Uh, Guy, uh, maybe we uh, we want to start off because uh, you, you teased us at the at the top of the, the program, uh, of course. You talked about uh, some dodgy landlords. You talked, to us, you talked to us about towel policing as well. I'm very curious uh, on, on that one. Um, t- tell us uh, where we're going it's, to start. It's not uh, something you hear every Sunday morning, is it? The towel police are, are coming for you. But they are coming for you in Croatia if you're not too careful about it. Because, uh, you, you, you know, we've had these jokes for years about people who leave their towels on the beach or on lounges or what have you to to reserve a space. And normally it's the Germans who normally it's the Germans and I'm looking at Katya here as well. It's it's the Germans who always get it in the neck. But I think, you know, I, I think we can't just single out the Germans. I think there's other nations it, that are also not. That would be maybe a equally as guilty. We, we, 
we, we can have no association with that whatsoever, Tyler. But uh, to be to be truthful, when I was in uh, on the Croatian coast not uh, a few weeks ago, you did indeed see these towels sitting there, nobody nearby, nobody noticeably in the water, what have you. So people clearly are uh, playing this game of leaving towels, claiming themselves a bit of beach. And if you've been to the Adriatic coast, you'll know why people will do that. Because although the water is beautiful, the beaches aren't particularly in lots of places. So if you find yourself a prime spot, um, you hold on to it for all you can. Um, and, and this is, annoys everybody, of course, who's going up and down looking for a spot on the beach. Uh, now, in some places on the Adriatic, they have towel police and they're coming around at about eight o'clock in the morning and uh, if they see towels left on the beach and nobody nearby who they obviously belong to they're scooping up everything taking it away and you have to pay quite a big fine to get your stuff back and uh, people are some people of course are up in arms about this other people are saying fair enough it's a, it's a fair towel cop governor I like that as a, as a good revenue earner. I think Katya's sort of smiling over here. You're thinking maybe the same thing, you know, people sort of taking over tables as well and, uh, you know, putting their jackets on them, et cetera. And then you've got, you've got sort of bust-ups happening as well. So maybe you could have, so yeah, it's certainly maybe a new way to also you know, earn a bit of income too, you know, yeah. go, go and claim it. <laughs> No, no, I, I totally agree. I feel ashamed a little bit because I feel so guilty being German and we, they always it's, say it's, it's, a, it's okay. Don't, uh, we, we, won't, we won't worry about that. Guy, uh, just, uh, just on, on the, the land grab front, though, uh, you, you also um, have an interesting story coming out of Serbia. And we were talking a little bit about the limitations of, of e-vehicles and batteries. But maybe we should be buying up uh, a little bit of land in the Yadar Valley, I understand. That, that's that's right. I, I didn't actually manage to talk about the dodgy landlords in Croatia. So just we'll come back to them. Or, okay, so, go, go, let's, let's do the landlords first. Okay. Okay, so people won't feel teased and then, you know, that I didn't follow through with the, the dodgy landlords. It's simply that now it's such a good season in Croatia numbers-wise that people who booked when times were rough, you know, when everybody thought they were going to have no sort of season at all and the landlords gave reasonable rates, they're now turning up to find the landlords giving all sorts of excuses for why they can't actually have their rental holiday home um, because the suspicion is, or in some cases, the, the proof is uh, that the landlords have uh, had a better offer in the interim and decided to uh, not uh, honour the original booking because uh, they could get you know, significantly higher prices in the interim. So the authorities are also taking action about that. So you've not just got the towel police but the landlord police. Um, but you mentioned um, the Adar Valley in Serbia. And, and, and why this is significant potentially for the whole of Europe is because Serbia actually has some of the continent's greatest deposits of lithium. Uh, and until now, the question has been, how do we get it out of Serbia? Because it's locked into this mineral, uh, which has been given the name Yadarite, uh, which is named after the Yadar Valley in which it is found. So it's one of these sort of slightly made up minerals, I think, but it contains lithium. And now Rio Tinto have announced that they're going to be throwing vast amounts of money at extracting it. And by vast amounts, I mean an initial two and a half billion dollars. Uh, so it's a reasonable amount of money. And it will be Europe's first significant lithium mining operation. Well, wow. so that means you're going to be out purchasing a helmet with a light, I would imagine. Headlamps <laughs> all around. <laughs> I mean, quite quite possibly. Although the, the question for Serbia is, how do you avoid the, the, the so-called resource curse? I mean, we've seen this in countries with great deposits of, of oil, mm. for example. How, how do you make it work for everybody? And, and Serbia, which, which isn't a rich country, but isn't too badly off, it's, it's got to make a balance here of how it manages to exploit its mineral resources in the best way, gets income for the country, gets the jobs, without destroying the natural beauty of places like the Yadda Valley.
Guy, I think you're going to have to get the bucket and spade out uh, as well and see if you can find any Yadarite uh, as well. They'd, they'd call it something different, of course, uh, maybe uh, in the hills, in and around Ljubljana, because we have to uh, we have to head over to Tokyo. It's uh, just uh, gone at, uh 1754, uh, actually, in Tokyo. Our Fiona Wilson uh, is standing by. It's the last day of the Olympics. Fiona, uh, good, good afternoon. Uh, are, the, are the closing ceremonies underway? Good afternoon. Hi, Tyler. Well, no, the, the ceremony starts at 8 o'clock. Um, they've kept the details under wraps. You know, everyone's very excited. What's it going to be? I think it's going to be a fairly low-key ceremony because a lot of athletes have left. You know, that was the rule this year. Once you've done your event, you are pretty much encouraged to leave, and I think you have to leave within a couple of days. So, I think they might be coming in together, a bit of a We Are The World moment, um, and maybe some music. I don't know. Are we going to get a J-pop star? That's what everyone's hoping for, because it should have been Arashi. They were going to be a big star if, if it was held last year. Um, you know, They were the biggest pop band in Japan at the time, now disbanded. So I don't know what the musical entertainment will be. Hand over to Paris. Um, so we'll see. I think it won't be a, you know, a massive event like the opening ceremony, but... Uh, but I think, you know, it will be, and it's exhausting here in the weather. It's so hot and humid. Um, I don't know how long they'll last out there tonight anyway. <laughs> Fiona, just uh, maybe if it's, of course, we, well, if we're going to put a total scorecard around this, we'll have to, of course, include the closing ceremonies. But uh, your preliminary score, despite all of the challenges around this, uh, you know, two, two plus weeks uh, of, of the games, uh, what, what, what marks would you, would you, would you give? For performance of athletes, organization, uh, and of course, all of the uh, the other things they had to deal with this year. I mean, performance of the athletes, absolutely brilliant. And I've seen a lot of sport, I have to say, more than ever in the last two weeks. And, you know, the absolute effort, it's so incredible to be able to see it up close. I mean, obviously, lacking the, the crowd does make a difference. But actually, there were loads of uh, records broken. So some ways people were like, hmm, you know, the spectators weren't as essential as we thought they were. That was brilliant. I mean, the, the venues were amazing. I think overall, the sort of heartbreak of people not being able to see it and also Japan not being able to show what a great host it should have been. I think that that drops the score. And I don't blame Tokyo for that. I think Tokyo would have put on an amazing show under the circumstances. They've done very well. But, it, you know, it, it's really a made-for-TV spectacle, isn't it? I mean, I think you've probably... You know, you've enjoyed it as much as the population of Tokyo, which is which is quite strange. We just haven't had an Olympic atmosphere in Tokyo, which has been a bit bizarre, I think. Yeah, and and we we weren't able to, of course, uh, have any postmortems on the bench out in front of uh, the, the the Tokyo bureau. Uh, Fiona, we'll uh, I'm sure be checking in tomorrow morning uh, to get your your fi- your final views uh, on the games. Uh, I would uh, most likely say on the globalist, but uh, I'll leave our colleagues uh, to to uh, to book you for that. Our Fiona Wilson uh, there in Tokyo. Okay, gentlemen, uh, Marcus, Emily, I said that uh, you have to uh, give us uh, a, a, some story from the Finnish press uh, just before we go. Uh, Emily, over over to you. I have one from Lance. Um, so a newspaper from the southeastern part of Finland or middle eastern part of Finland, a uh, summer cottage area. Um, so they report that 4,400 cottages were built this year, which is up by 30% from last 4, year. 4,400 cottages built? Yes. Um, and, and kind of a holiday That's uh, where all houses. your wood went, Katya. <laughs> Precisely. All those, those so this cottages. was the bridge I was going yeah, to yeah. build. Okay. Um, and timber, uh, there's been shortages. And anecdotally, I know this from my father as well, who wanted to build a new terrace. Marcus, what do you have? I continue with news from Aamulehti from Tampere. 
city are they are opening a tram line now, the first one in the city. And as I speak, I understand there are festivities taking place in a tram. There's Sanna Marina, our prime minister, in this tram oh, that's fantastic. riding across the city with a couple of musicians and and the mayor and it's broadcast live. The route takes about an hour and a half. It's all live on the website oh, of Armule. Can't, can't wait. Um, listen, uh, Katya, if we get on the number two, we can get uh, over to uh, Frau Gerald's got number two. When is it running till? When will it be open till uh, this this season? Uh, well, we will have open um, until the end of the season, which is end of um, October, I guess. And uh, when I see the weather right now, I hope that we will have like a really warm uh, autumn. <laughs> well, listen, we, we've got a lot of staff in, in from elsewhere, so we look forward to hopefully seeing you uh, later in the week. That's all we have time for for today's program. Katja Weber, Emily Zawa, Andrew Tuck, Emma Nelson, plus Marcus Hippie, of course, around the mics. Uh, we also had Marcus, uh, Mark Hennessy in Dublin, Guy Delaney in Ljubljana, uh, Fiona Wilson also dropping in from Tokyo as well. Our producers today were Emma Nelson and Marcus Hippie, our studio manager in Zurich, Desiree Bandley, and in London, Nora Hall. I'm Tyler Brule. Have a very lovely Sunday. More from me this week. Goodbye.